Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and I am excited to spend this episode getting back to our roots, which, of course, means worrying about the USMNT ahead of a major (laughs) international competition. The World Cup is 18 days away, I believe. Could have that wrong, but I think that's it. The U.S. roster will be released next Wednesday. We know many of the names that will be on there. We have expectations of several more. Maybe there'll be a surprise or two. You never know. Obviously, we will have a show next week breaking down that roster and a live reaction show over on the BR app. Joe Lowry, are the nerves setting in? Because they are for me. Yeah, the nerves are in, Taylor, and you're right. There's nothing that is closer to the heart of our identity as people around and in the U.S. soccer men's national team sphere than anxiety and worry about the team and just angst about, man, about every little nook and cranny of this program. It's real, Taylor, and it is fully set in for me, especially because everybody's injured right now, except Gio Reyna, weirdly, for some reason. I don't know how that happened. I don't know where we are right now. Taylor, it's good to be back, and it's, it's good to worry with someone instead of by myself in a corner. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. It's good to have you back, Joe. I do feel like we we maybe had a deal with the devil situation in which we had to get Gio Reyna healthy. Somebody made a deal, <laughs> and in exchange, every other player did get injured. But a little bit. at little least bit. Gio is there. That makes me happy. Uh, Joe, as I said, it's it's nice to talk to you. It's good to have you back. We haven't heard from you in a little bit. You did the Lister Questions show with Ryan. Uh, but in terms of talking about nerves and anxiousness i'm assuming the reason you were you were absent was maybe slightly more anxiety inducing although maybe it went smoothly i don't know i mean a little bit of both so i got married that's what taylor's alluding to i got married about a week ago now um so that was incredibly exciting took some time off afterwards for our trip after the wedding and had a great time both on our vacation in mexico and uh and with the wedding itself saw my now wife's extended family met some folks on, on her side of the family that I had never met before because we're not from the same place and just had a really wonderful time with friends and family. Taylor, before the wedding, you were telling me like, yeah, this is one of the only times in your life that like you'll have all of your friends and family and extended mm-hmm. family and people in the same place. And I was thinking about that on the day and really enjoying that bit. Like it was a oh, really cool. special time with with her, obviously, and, and then with you know both of our families and friends and, and just really a blast. So I was thankful to have that opportunity, super excited for what's next for us and, and yeah, just man. nice to have a little bit of time away and now getting back into the swing of things, baby. What was the uh, what was the first dance? How did it go? Did you have it choreographed or was first, it all improvised? First dance was good. It was to uh, a Michael Bublé song, which I feel like is a classic, right? Michael Bublé does have songs that are not Christmas, so that it worked out well. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's good we, to know. <laughs> we choreographed it a little bit, nice. um, but neither one of us are very good at dancing, so it was like very light choreography. But on, honestly, I thought it went well. People didn't like point and laugh at us, which is good. So that means you know we didn't get any rotten fruit thrown mm-hmm. at us either. So I would assume Taylor that we did all right. I mean, yeah, I think if you get rotten. Fruit thrown at you at a wedding. Something at your has own gone wedding. Wrong. At your own wedding, yeah. you've done really poorly. Or you're getting married in medieval times, or something. Also along those that. Lines. Was also it that. up tempo song or slow song? It it it, it was a slower song. And okay. if you can't tell, I am very much struggling to remember what the name of it is. Oh, it's <laughs> all good. That's is. good. I wasn't um, gonna, I, You don't have to. You could. I, I. You could just add the air of mystery. We could pretend is, like you just want to keep that to yourself. It is a mystery. Okay. I my gut was right. It's, it was you and I by Michael Bublé, okay. and it was it was lovely. We had a good time. I'm I'm a, I'm a Michael Bublé you know, outside sort of fan. So I, I enjoy a good bubble song now and then. We had fun. We had a really good time. It was a blast. Good to see all the folks that were there. Um, and, and again, just, yeah, super, super excited and thankful for, you know, everything that's that's coming up. 
Yeah, man. And for listeners who are surprised by this news, uh, I should add that we, like we knew Joe was engaged. He hadn't talked much about it. And then in typical Joe, like humble fashion, I think a couple weeks ahead was like, oh, by the way, like I need, you know, a week off. <laughs> uh, I'm getting married. But yeah, I'll be back right away. Like it was it was it was definitive Joe. So I'm, I'm happy you took the time to get married. I'm happy you enjoyed yourself. And I'm very happy you're back to talk uh, MLS. We've got the MLS Cup coming up. Then we've got the World Cup roster, the World Cup looming. Lots to be discussed, Joe. And so to ease some of our nerves, or maybe make them worse, we'll see, we're going to get back to Americans in action. We had a few people requesting the return of this segment, and I'm happy to get back into it because there have been Americans doing varying things in varying leagues. We're going to talk about seven or eight of them, six to eight of them. We'll see how time goes. Uh, Let's start with Mr. Ricardo Pepe, who is scoring goals is playing games, uh, which is very nice since his move to uh, Groningen in the Eredivisie. Still on loan, but five goals and seven appearances. He's got an assist in there, too. Joe, I'm going to say some positives, and then watching his footage from his most recent games, still some concerns. Yeah, so in terms of thumbs up and thumbs down, and I'm going to cop out on some of these later on and, and have my thumb at various angles that are not fully up or fully down. Ricardo Pepe is doing well. He's doing well enough right now. It's My thumb is up on Pepe. Five goals, you mentioned it, in about 550 minutes. So that's a goal every 110 minutes, which is a, a pretty good rate since moving to Groningen on loan earlier this year. He's getting some positive press in the Netherlands. I think fans have enjoyed him because people like people who score goals. That's kind of how this game works. I, I think he is in a good place to continue getting reps and continue playing and hopefully improving. I am not sure, Taylor, though, to get to, to I think, kind of how mm-hmm. you led me in. I'm not sure that I see a much different player. Than, than I have. Yep. And, and, and in some ways, Taylor, we shouldn't be surprised by that, right? It's only been a few months mm-hmm. that he's actually been going and playing. The Augsburg move was a total disaster for everybody but FC Dallas. So <laughs> he wasn't really getting better because he wasn't playing, and, and Augsburg are just a disaster right now tactically anyway. So there wasn't a lot that was going to come from that. But I like the fact that he's now in the Netherlands. I like the fact that he's getting reps and playing. He is like wildly overperforming his expected goals. He has he scored like three and a half more goals of his five than expected goals would would dictate, which means, all that means is that he's likely to fall back down to earth at some point, mm-hmm. and his rate is likely to uh, decrease, and he's going to be scoring goals less often. That is, that's okay, but I want to see more from Pepe. I'm still happy with what he's doing now. I'm happy that he's playing and getting reps. That's important, but not night and day difference from where he was at Augsburg or where he was with Dallas or what we've seen with the national team. And I think for now, Taylor, that's that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think I think it is broadly speaking. We're going to talk about other striker options in this show, uh, Josh Sargent, Jordan Pifok, and then uh, Jesus Ferrer, we've talked plenty about. He won't be mentioned, but I think I would include him in this part of my summary of Ricardo Pepe, which is basically that in watching the most likely number nine options for the U.S. at the World Cup, my 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 base layer of my theory is that it's just going to come down to someone's going to need to get hot. Like That's really what I think it's going to end up being, and that's not the worst thing to be relying upon. It's certainly not the best thing to be relying on of somebody catching fire in the exact right moment. But I think with every single player, there are strengths to their games and there are reasons why I could see them starting and being successful for the U.S. There are also obvious vulnerabilities in areas that they can be exploited. For Ricardo Pepe, a thing that I noticed in his games, first off, I didn't really love that the game that he looked most 
comfortable, most dominant on the ball, like taking it to defenders, uh, holding them off, being physical was against FC Dordrecht, who are a second division, an Erste Divisie side, currently 16th out of 20. And the Erste, Erste Divisie, the second division in the Netherlands, is not very good. I remember Leander Sherlockens discussing it when, I forget who went there for, for the U.S. Uh, Gideon Zalem went there, and it was sort of like, eh, that's not a great thing because you're not getting the strongest opposition. So Pepe looking good against weak opposition and then looking okay against stronger opposition, to your point, feels about what we've seen from him and it feels about his level. The area that he seemed to really struggle, in my mind, Joe, was when he had a defender on his back versus uh, Emin and versus PSV. Anytime somebody was on him when the ball was coming into his feet or when it was a long ball at him, he seemed to either miscontrol that long ball or lose it outright. And and I think if you're looking for him to be that sort of central figure for the United States, I'm not sure Berhalter is looking for him to win every single thing, long ball in the air and knock it down. But that is a thing that I thought of as more of a strength in his game. And, and watching him in those two games, it felt much more like a vulnerability, an area where teams could kind of pressure him. He loses the ball, he coughs it up at midfield, and now the counterattack is on or they've got numbers in more advanced positions. So I came away from it feeling less optimistic about Ricardo Pepe than I expected to be given the number of goals he scored. Yep, I, I totally agree with that, Taylor. I was hoping to see some some better things or just some signs of obvious improvement from Pepe in between what I saw on tape and some of the weaknesses in uh, kind of hold-up play, right, when he has a defender on his back. That's not entirely new. I think Pepe is like this lanky, kind of gangly dude, and he's a, he's a really good athlete, but he's not the strongest player on the field at all times. So between that and the fact that he's still not getting into a ton of really good goal-scoring spots in the box, which is ultimately the thing you want your striker to be doing before they put the ball in the back of the net, that that concerns me, and I guess maybe the reason why I'm generally okay with Pepe's development curve and, and the fact that we still haven't seen a ton of development, really, is what I'm trying to say there, is because, in my mind, he should not be starting for the U.S. in Qatar. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I maybe should be a little slower to be okay with the situation because I'm not sure Greg Berhalter agrees with me at all on that front, right? He has been extremely loyal to Ricardo Pepe ever since Pepe scored that goal for the U.S. away to Honduras. Taylor, we talked about that game and thought that maybe... You know, there were going to be increased calls for Greg Berhalter's job if the U.S. had not gotten three points on the road in Honduras after starting World Cup qualifying. That was a big moment, and, and Berhalter has stayed loyal to Pepe since then. I, I don't think you can make a huge argument for that based off of sporting merit right now. So I'm kind of okay for Pepe to continue doing his thing and, and hopefully getting incrementally better. But uh, I am a little more concerned if we get to November 9th and then I think the finalized roster date is November 14th and Pepe's in that squad and, and he does get real minutes at Qatar. That is... That's when I start to get worried. Yeah. Uh, well, you get worried if he's in the squad? Yeah. I, I, not in the squad, yes, a little bit because I, I don't think he should be, but especially if he's, if he's playing in guitar. Yeah. I, I just don't think Pepe is a consistent or reliable enough threat to be the person leading the line for the U.S. And I know he did it a couple times in World Cup qualifying. I know he's had some success on this loan spell, but I'm just, I'm just not sold right now, yeah. Taylor. So a couple things. First off, uh, I, I share your feelings about Ricardo Pepe overall. I, I agree with you. I don't think he should be starting. I'm not sure he should be in the squad. Of the kind of four that I mentioned, I think I have him bottom of the depth chart, which is odd because for the longest time we talked about, we just want to see him playing minutes, scoring goals, like kind of getting that form, getting that confidence. And that's exactly what he's doing. So it does seem sort of unfair or hypocritical to then say, but it's not good enough. But 
That's the same thing we said about Luca Della Torre when he was playing for Heracles. It's like it's great that you're doing good things and building that confidence and getting uh, those reps in, and you're learning how to play on the half turn, and you are sort of getting better on the ball. But at the same time, it's for a struggling uh, Dutch side. Let's see what happens if he gets a move if he's playing at a higher level. And I sort of think we have to do the same thing with Ricardo Pepe. That it's great he's scoring, but looking at some of his goals. If you just see the numbers, as you said, first of all, overperforming, but then also there's the one he scored recently where it's, I think, a shot from his teammate after his teammate uh, like like uh, jumps in, wins the ball, launches the counterattack, has the shot, it's saved, and then Pepe is there to knock it home on a basically open goal. You got to be there. You got to take the chances when they're presented. So credit to him for that. But I, I think I wanted to see him, I think, more involved in the buildup, in, in linking up play, and then finishing it. And I don't feel like we saw as many of those sustained possession, Pepe on the ball, off the ball, on the ball, off the ball, and then eventually scoring, it felt sort of uh, stop-start for me. And and I think with that said, the reason why we're likely to see him involved in the squad is what you mentioned. It seems like Berhalter has that loyalty. Uh, he's proven himself enough to Greg Berhalter. And I think going back to my idea that basically it's gonna re- we're going to require somebody to really hit form at the right moment, catch fire, maybe score some goals, but also just perform the role that Berhalter asks of that number nine. I think he's going to err on the side of players who he has more familiarity with, who he thinks can do that job in that moment with limited instruction time. And so I'm, I'm guessing we will see Ricardo Pepe included because he's been there, because there's that relationship. But I share your concern that I'm not sure that is the best way to go about getting results for the U.S. I feel odd saying this because I've been so hyped on Ricardo Pepe for so long, but I just think the other three players who are uh, maybe two of whom are likely to be included on the roster give you better options. I don't disagree with any of that, okay. Taylor. I remember way back when, when Pepe was sort of just now entering the national team conversation, you asked me how good of a prospect he was, and I think I gave you the answer of nine or nine and a half out of ten. And I still think he's a really good prospect. I think he has the physical tools to be a threat, to stretch the line, and to be like kind of a modern space-exploiting striker. It's just not there yet. And I feel like this is one cycle too early for him. I thought that back in September. He was called up. And so I don't know what Berhalter thinks, but I, I agree with your assessment of him. All right. Well, uh, anything else on Pepe? No, I don't think so. We can All keep right. going. So then uh, the, I think the player I want to talk about next is Josh Sargent. And I want to talk about him because I watched Pepe and I came away thinking genuinely very similar to what we used to say with Luca De La Torre, as I already said. It was it was good. It was like, yeah, OK. I saw, oh, that's nice. I hadn't seen him do that before. <laughs> oh, oh, he didn't really win that one. Well, we'll see what happens. But it still felt slow. It, fe- it still felt very, we'll see what happens. And Josh Sargent it was very night and day in the way he is playing. And he too is playing for Norwich, sometimes as a striker, more recently out wide. He is scoring goals, eight goals in 17 matches. He's got two assists as well. But the thing, I spent a long time trying to figure out what word I wanted to use for Josh Sargent and the way he's playing. And the word I came up with is that he is playing boldly. He is going at people. He is scrapping for the ball. He is like throwing moves in there, doing some step overs, beating people 1v1. He is taking shots. He's trying stuff. And it's a much more confident, I, I guess, self-believing Josh Sargent at Norwich than I've seen in a very long time. And so right there, I said on Twitter I was going to make the argument that Josh Sargent should be the starting number nine. I will continue to make that argument over the course of this segment. I don't want to go too long here, but I will say my my confidence in him starts with just that that energy that dynamism he seems to be playing with right now uh so joe with that sort of introduction out of the way i turn it to you for your opening thoughts on josh sargent 
Good. Thumbs up. Uh, thumbs, there we go. Thumbs like sideways up. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. He, so he's dealing with a little calf injury right now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it's that serious. Dean Smith said on Saturday that he felt it on Tuesday, so that'd be a little over a week ago now. He played on, but it was too tight today. Again, that would be Saturday. Um, it seems like he's going to be fine for the World Cup. They just didn't want to risk him. Sargent was there in September. I think he should be there in the World Cup as well with this U.S. team. He's not scoring goals all the time, at least not not recently, and he's still playing out on the right wing. But I, I feel good. I feel generally good about Josh Sargent. I don't know that I feel passionately about him starting at the nine versus Jesus Ferreira or even somebody like Jordan Pifak. I'm kind of just at this point fine with whoever. But Taylor, I, I'm into your argument about him playing sure. boldly and playing aggressively and doing some good things because I do think Josh Sargent has gotten a lot better this season in particular. Yeah, and, and that is and that is a big part of it as well, that you can see him with that confidence developing his game all the more. Uh, the clip I sent you, Joe, that, that started me down this road was one where he gets the ball, I think playing as a winger, gets the ball with the defender pressuring him. Uh, he like like receives it with that pressure, then squares him up, then beats the player, then goes on like a 40-yard run and carries it forward. And I just think looking at the number nine spot for the U.S., we, I don't, again, I'm not sure if that's necessarily what Burhalter is demanding his number nine do, but I want them to be able to do that. I want them to be able to receive it on the half turn or with a little bit of pressure, evade that pressure, and carry that ball forward. You need people to take those chances to force the defense back or to force defenders to improvise defenses and maybe open up space for other players. And there was a determination in the way he carries the ball that made me really happy. And then off the ball. And this relates to a conversation I had with Sam Stasco when he was on the show last week sort of about the roster and what Berhalter wants and why certain things aren't working. One of the things, uh, I, I hope I am paraphrasing Sam correctly, I think he was arguing, is that having Pulisic drop, drop deep and do some defensive work also means that you're asking him to do things that aren't quite what he wants to do when it comes to the attack. He wants to get the ball and go at defenders. I don't think we need him dropping deep and then trying to carry it 40 yards forward. I think he's such a potential attacking threat that we want to give him the ball in spaces to shine. And watching Josh Sargent do the defensive side of things for Norwich, again, as a winger, but also as a striker, working back really hard to win the ball. He's got like clean little poke tackles, but he also just applies pressure in the right moments. And I think having him basically work back defensively to be another central midfielder, it really clogs things up and I think would force uh, opponents out wide. And if the U.S. can then pressure and win the ball there, now you've got Pulisic and maybe Tim Weah, maybe Gio Reyna, if they're maybe further forward because Sargent is dropping in and doing that defensive work. Now you've got them in positions to to get the ball and spring that counterattack. And so I think he can do things on the defensive side that would be really useful. Yes. And then I think can also attack and score goals. Well, I think there's a huge... I think Beralta thinks this too, Taylor, that there's a lot of value with someone like Josh Sargent. And Jesus Ferreira fits this particular category that I'm about to say with their defensive effort, right? Jesus Ferreira is fast. He is really fast, deceptively fast. And he runs a lot for FC Dallas in that number nine pressing role. There's a reason why we've seen the U.S. shift to that shape with Jesus Ferreira as the the guy for a lot of these games because he knows those pressing patterns. Sargent works his tail off, right? He does that in possession. He does that defensively as well. In games where the the more I think about it, the more I, I think the U.S. is probably just going to try to scrap their way through this group stage, which is sort of a slap in the face to everything that Berhalter has been trying to do and has been telling us the last few years, but I think is going to be the most pragmatic way to accomplish things. Having someone like Josh Sargent, who is more physical, I would argue, than Jesus Ferreira, who will throw himself around a little bit more in possession to do what needs to be done, I would be... I would be surprised if we don't see Sargent start at least one of these three group stage games, and, and maybe there's an argument that he should start more. 
I, I really do think he has the tools to be a valuable player for the U.S. at the World Cup, and I, I hope we see him for a lot of the reasons that you've mentioned, Taylor. And I think with that physicality, I'm glad we're uh, aligned in this one. Uh, there's a pragmatism to his physicality as well, because I expect it to just be like, oh, he's learned to like batter people and knock him around. He's in the championship and he can do that. I think, again, he can also take people on, use his body really well while he's in control of the ball. But the pragmatism thing, there's a moment against, I think, Sheffield United it was, when the goalkeeper kicks it long and Sargent, it's not like it's maybe 15 yards away from where he's standing is where the ball is going to end up. There is already a center back there. And so Sargent uh, like closes that ground quickly enough that he is able to see the ball. It's not yet gotten there. See the defender and then time it perfectly so that he he steps in and hip checks that defender and wins the ball. He kills it dead perfectly with one foot. But if he waits, if, if he does that maybe two seconds earlier, it's a foul. If he waits two seconds later, it's a foul or one second later. And he times it so well that he knocks the defender off like off their axis and then controls the ball. I think he still ends up underhitting the pass to Todd Cantwell. Uh, but it's to bring it down and then try to play it with the outside of his foot in two touches off of a goal kick and kind of body a person out of the way, that sort of scrappiness feels like what the U.S. will need, because I agree with you. I think they will try to scrap their way through some of these games. I think they'll have to. And I think you need that combination of physicality, fight, but technical ability with some goal scoring in there. I think in the games that I saw him, when he would get clear shooting opportunities, again, sometimes he scores, there was a slight hesitation in some of his, when he's played in on goal at a at a tight angle, I think you can see him focusing on I want to make sure I get in the best position to get a good shot off and not necessarily trying to like rush a shot with his non-dominant foot because maybe that will do it so I think there is a little bit of passiveness in front of goal that we probably wouldn't love in a world cup then again the number of uh number nine options who aren't slightly passive in front of goal these days is uh is pretty short, if non-existent. Yeah, and, and the one thing I'll say, I guess my closing thoughts, I, I am very much for Josh Sargent seeing the field in Qatar. I, you don't have to mm-hmm. convince me on that. Uh, I'm not sure that whoever the number nine is is going to have like a tangible impact on the U.S.'s performances. Like, I, I don't know that there's enough of a gap between Ferreira and Sargent, or even from Pepe to Sargent, or from PFOC, whoever it is. I, I kind of think that those players are all roughly in the same skill group and it's going to just be like you said Taylor if the U.S. is going to get real production out of that that nine spot it's going to be almost like random right so it could be Sargent getting in the right spot for a goal it could be Ferreira it could be P5 heading in across like I'm, I'm not convinced that any of these players are good enough relative to the rest of the group to like move the needle for the U.S. but I still think Sargent can do enough good stuff that he could be a valuable member for for this U.S. team in Qatar. I, yeah, I hear you. I, I think at the end of the day, that sort of slight tentativeness that I saw from Ricardo Pepe, I did not see from Josh Sargent. Yeah. And I think that's the sort of thing, it, it, not that Berhalter cares about the fan reaction or anything, but I think if you see your number nine in those opening minutes miscontrol a long ball and then sort of go for a pass and it doesn't quite come off and he just looks a little bit nervous, he looks a little bit maybe overcome by the situation, that's not going to inspire confidence. And and I guess right now I have more faith in Josh Sargent than at least Ricardo Pepe uh, to, to sort of not be overawed by the moment. It's not helped by Jesus Ferreira having a quiet playoffs, uh, but I can't I can't claim to be as like super familiar with FC Dallas as, say, Joe Lowry is. So I think you're right that probably the difference between Sargent and Ferreira, especially in Berhalter's system, is probably 
not quite as as wide as as maybe I, I might make it out to be. But I still, though I will expect it to be Jesus Ferreira, I would really love to see Josh Sargent, if not start uh, one or a couple of these games, then at least get those those minutes and those opportunities when the U.S. Uh, are trying to make something happen in the attack. So credit to Josh Sargent for taking advantage of his time at Norwich is the uh, final point I have on Sargent. Uh, Joe, let's keep it moving. Let's take a quick break and then let's get back to talk about one more number nine possibility. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. We are back. We're talking number nine, potential number nines for the USMNT at the World Cup. Uh, we've talked about two. We've sort of talked about Jesus Ferreira. Joe, let's talk about Jordan Pifok for a moment. This is the one that I, I think we probably, at least last we spoke, I think we were in agreement that the way things were trending, it seemed like it was going to be Ferreira, Pepe, Sargent with Jordan Pifok on the outside looking yep. in. Is that where you are still? I, I am still that way because yep. I don't think we've seen any evidence that Berhalter is not leaning mm-hmm. in that direction. Now, he did say sort of back in that press conference before the September window that, you know, you're not out, right? Like, none of these players are really out of the picture. They hadn't landed on things. So I wouldn't be fully shocked if PFOX sneaks in. But at this point, I, I do think Pepe, Ferreira, and Sargent are the most likely three. And, and Jordan PFOX not really helping his case right now. So Union Berlin are top of the Bundesliga, which is great. It's a fantastic story. Uh, Jordan Pivak hasn't scored a goal since uh, September 18th against Wolfsburg. He hasn't taken more than two shots, Taylor, in a game 
since October 6th, which is not like that long ago, but it's almost a month ago, against Malmo in the Europa League. So he hasn't taken more than two shots in almost a month in a single game. He's a regular starter, still usually playing about 60 minutes, but it has been a, a tough stretch for him, Taylor. He's not touching the ball. He hasn't touched the ball more than 15 times in his last four games, according to FB Ref. He's not like getting many chances to do anything. So Union Berlin aren't helping him. They're top of the league, like I mentioned, but they don't create chances, right? So I don't know how sustainable their run at the top of the league is. I I would hesitate. I would hesitate to say they're going to be there for long. They don't keep the ball when they do have it. They don't do much with it, and they they give it away a lot. Pufak is not really impacting games. So it, it, I'm going to go back to the thumbs up, thumbs down scale. I think based on his current club form, not scoring goals, not getting touches, not doing much for Union Berlin, my thumb is down on Jordan Pufak. But based on my thoughts about him with the national team, it's still sideways. I think he would be a really mm-hmm. valuable yep. third striker to bring to Qatar. I, I'm just not convinced, like I said, the brawler is actually going to do that stuff. Yeah, I think my note on him for this show was I see ways in which he would be useful in this team, even though I'm increasingly confident he won't be in this team. And, and I think a couple things that you said there, Joe, emphasize that, uh, especially the minutes played. Because if you get a player subbed out in the first half, they've either had a horrific first half or more likely there's tactical changes that need to be made. If it's a player subbed out in the 80th minute, probably fatigue, maybe you're chasing the game, maybe you're trying to see it out. But in my mind, substitutions in the 50th to like 60th minute range are usually, eh, you just haven't gotten the job done. And that does seem to be where Jordan Pivak is being substituted. It's sort of, okay, you gave a run, you tired the defenses out, now let's put in somebody and see what kind of, kind of an impact they can have. And in certain occasions, like looking at their win over Gladbach this past weekend... Both the goals coming after Jordan Pifak, uh subs off, mm. not really the confidence you're looking for. So I think right there, I'm with you that his form, while you when you look at the stats of like, oh, yeah, scoring goals and playing minutes, you look a little bit deeper and scoring goals a little while ago, playing, maybe not having the direct impact that he was having earlier in the season. With that said, there are still plenty of things I think he could bring to this team. We yes. talked about the physicality already. Agreed. Like, I think oftentimes you hear it as like he could be the kind of target man. He could be the poacher in the box if we're playing against a compact defense. And I think that's true. But also watching some of what he does for Union Berlin, the way they use him on throw-ins was a thing that started to stand out to me that they use him. It's not just those big crosses into the box. It's not just corners. It's he will make that run into the channel with a defender on his back and then hold them off. And the thrower, they did this a couple times, Union, throw it into his feet. He puts a foot on top of it, holds that defender off. The thrower then comes on the pitch, makes that overlap. He lays it off. And now you've got a 2v1. And it's his movement there. It's a little bit of movement. It's the strength to hold off. But it's also the ability to hold the player off while holding onto the ball. And I saw him do that on a number of occasions. He still, as with the other number nines, isn't great when he has somebody right in his back on those long balls. But again, I think of those as sort of a crapshoot, sort of a 50-50. That's why they're called 50-50 balls. But as we saw with the assist he had recently, that sort of ability to hold up and then lay off can be utilized really effectively. And and in that way, I definitely definitely see ways in which he helps this U.S. team. I love the throw-in bit, Taylor. That is so good. And we know that Greg Peralter thinks about throw-ins. He thinks about his bounce passes before mm-hmm. throw-ins. His Columbus crew team <laughs> was actually like like good at using throw-ins to do stuff. I, I don't think that will be... No, let me let me rephrase. I, I think that is like a, a very useful bit of soccer. Mm-hmm. Like I think that is important. It's something that I, I don't think... And this is what I was trying to get to. I don't think teams put enough emphasis on... So, man, I would love for this whole thing to be decided by Baralter just thinking like, hey, Jordan's good at throw-ins, let's get him involved. I, I, I seriously think, though, that that loops in with a lot of the other ideas we've talked about, PFOC. He can do 
stuff that other U.S. strikers can't. And I'm not sure that that stuff fits immediately with Baralter's plan A. But, like, the World Cup might be time for plan a, plan B uh, and for plan A to take a seat for a little bit. And yep. I think if you don't bring someone like PFOC, you are, you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. I agree. Why then do we feel like he won't be? Is it just that he wasn't called into the recent camp and it seems like he's just sort of trending on the outside looking in? Yeah, I, I think so. Brawlther just seems to prefer Pepe mm-hmm. and Ferreira. And, and last time Sargent made it in and PFOC didn't. It doesn't seem like we have enough evidence that Baralter wants to do the stuff that Jordan Pifok is actually good at for the match to make sense. But again, there's time for this to change. Baralter might have seen everything he needed to see in September. And basically, as soon as that game against Saudi Arabia ended, he's like, yep, we're bringing Jordan Pifok. I don't know. But until I see it, Taylor, I'm going to be skeptical that Baralter is actually going to do it. Yeah, and I think we will have the expanded roster. It's 26 players. So there will also be that argument of, well, maybe you just bring all four and see what happens. But I think that is... That creates problems in and of itself because now you've got that other player that you've got to fit in in training and maybe that dilutes opportunities and reps a little bit. And I I don't know if that gives you more clarity if it just postpones a difficult decision. Uh, I I think if if I were being asked, I would say I would rank them as Josh Sargent, Jesus Ferreira, and then Jordan Pifok. That's the combination of what I think Berhalter will, will do with what I would like him to do. But I think if you're asking me what do I think Berhalter will do just straight up, I think it's going to be Ferreira, Pepe, and then Sargent. Maybe not in that order, but I think I do think he ends up going with Pepe over PFOC. And I personally, I don't know if that will be like I remember like the Twelman versus Brian Ching as the like third striker way back when. And ultimately, it's like if it comes down to who's your third striker and that makes a huge difference, other things have happened and yeah. things have gone wrong. So maybe this won't have that big of an impact. But I, I think. I'm more confident saying that Jordan Pifak could come in and, and give you something different, give you a different look, bring a little bit more confidence and physicality to the game than Ricardo Pepe, at least right now. So I'm prepared to be slightly disappointed when it's Pepe over Pifak. Uh, as long as Josh Sargent is in there, I'm good. Walker Zimmerman number nine, baby. Walker Zimmerman <laughs> number nine. Oh, that I'm for. I, I'm all Go. for that one, especially in, in like the closing moments of a game. When the U.S. is up, though, I want to swing it around. When we're beating England 2-0, let's send Walker Zimmerman forward to be the number nine. No, nah, it's not enough. Wales, okay. minute one, Walker Zimmerman with the opening kickoff into the box. Hoof it forward, lads. We're doing this thing. <laughs> we're doing this thing. Joe Scally is doing his thing, Joe. <laughs> Taylor's like, yeah, let's let's get off this Walker Zimmerman no, I, train. We I'm need into to fix it. this thing. Um, I'm into it. I'm just you gave me the perfect transition because in terms of players who are out there doing stuff, Joe Scally is one of them. You gotta love Joe's going out into the world and, and making stuff happen, right? There are fewer things that make me yes. ha- there are a few things that make me happier than that than just Joe's killing it. Joe Scally's doing well, right? I think he's doing very well right now. He's still starting games. He started all twelve of Gladbach's Bundesliga games. I thought Taylor he was encouraging off the bench against Saudi Arabia back in mm-hmm. September. That was a short spurt. Man, I've grown more and more convinced that it should be Scally in the right-back depth chart, probably second behind Sergino Dest over someone like Reggie Cannon or even mm-hmm. DeAndre Yedlin. I do think Yedlin's going to Qatar because yep. he is one of the only veteran presences, presence-i, presences in this team. But Presenci-i's. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. Taylor, you always yeah. know just what to say. Thank you. You're so smart. Thank I you. get at words. I get you at words. good at words, mm-hmm. just like Kevin. You good at words. Um, <laughs> I, I think Scally's doing enough to continue to help me believe that, basically. Yep. I think he should be in the squad. I think... If Dest isn't starting a right back, it it might be best for it to be Scally. Now, mm-hmm. now the still 
the mark against Scally in my mind is that I don't think he's like the best athlete. I don't think he has great yeah. speed. We've talked about this before. I get a little concerned about him going up against a Gareth Bale against Wales. So that's, I mean, Dest is not really all that much better in that regard, but you get the idea. I have concerns about Scally's defensive ability, but the U.S.'s defensive structure in general, I think, is sound, and that is probably the best part of this team. So Scally is still doing well at Gladback. He's still stringing some passes together. He's not like a, not a game changer for much in Gladback right now, but he is a useful contributor. And at 19, Taylor, that's not the worst thing. Mm-mm. I'm glad you you highlighted that speed because it, it's a thing I had in my notes but hadn't quite found a way to explain. Uh, there's two incidents that come to mind uh, with that in mind. The One is against uh, Union this past weekend. One is against Wolfsburg a couple of weeks ago, both of which involve him sort of squaring up with an attacker who is out in the channel but uh, very much trying to take him Joe Scali on and that's not a like obviously the attackers are going to take on defenders it's not as though it's a specific thing to just Joe Scali but in this situation he closes the gap and then he stands off so he's not doing the like I'm giving you 10 yards if you cross it great as long as you don't beat me 1v1 so he does close it down but then both times the attacker does a little feint to the right and takes it to the end line with their left and crosses it in both times it doesn't end up being a goal but both times that's because the runner hasn't gotten on the end of it, hasn't made that run in time, but it goes right across like the top of the six. And sometimes, well, I think once out for a throw, once out for a corner, but both times it's because Scali is just beaten for speed. And, and right there, I think is where I share your concern about in a 1v1, uh, when standing them up and then having to make sure that you block out that cross or don't let them get in that, that sort of the really dangerous ball into the mixer. That doesn't seem like a, a thing that suits Joe Scally's speed. So I'm with you on that being a concern for sure. And, th- and that's kind of the reality with Scally mm-hmm. right now. He might get better defensively. He might get better at, at finding the right moments to step and the right moments to drop. I think he will over time. Mm-hmm. But really, like I said earlier, nothing has changed in my opinion of Joe Scally. I think he's continued to do well enough that he belongs in the U.S.'s World Cup squad. Yeah, and, and, and I think that that is a change for me. Only in the sense that I used to always have Reggie Cannon on that list. I think going and I got a lot of uh, flack for for that one because it goes back to Burhalter using him as like a third center back. He has that, which I do like. I like yeah. that setup, and I, I don't know that Scally is as natural of a fit for it. But mm-hmm. I'm just not sure you can make that sacrifice. Anyway, continue. I'm not sure you can. I think the only way you can is if they just decide. I if Burhalter just decides, I don't really trust any center back other than Walker Zimmerman. So I want to go with a back three, and that gives me just that extra bit of coverage. But that requires a big change uh, for the United States in a couple of different ways. So I'm not, if you're going to do that, then I think you go all in and just bring another center back. I'm not sure you need that flexibility of a Reggie Cannon, who at this point I think probably isn't as strong of a player as Joe Scally. I, I think that Scally, similar to Josh Sargent, it had been a while since I spent time like watching him in a deliberate way. And there is just that confidence on the ball, receiving with the defender, pressuring him down the line, and he still holds it really well. Sometimes, you know, everyone's going to cough it up every now and then, but for the most part, I feel like he makes smart decisions as to when to take somebody on, when to try something. Maybe he earns a throw, maybe he gets by them, but also quick passing, quick moving, and there's just an alertness to his game. There is that experience to his game now, and I think he is a better player for it and better player for this U.S. team. So I, too, would have him right behind Sergio Dest in that depth chart. I think you're absolutely right. It will be Yedlin, because he will be, what, the only player who's been to a World Cup before. Uh, so, I mean, injuries permitting, we'll see who else ends up getting added late. But, I, yeah, I think Joe Scally, 
does enough of what you want from that right back spot, including getting forward. He is more than happy to carry that ball forward and get involved in the attack and make overlapping runs. Uh, Final ball still leaves a little bit to be desired, as does the final ball of pretty much everyone in the U.S., so uh, that's not too big of an issue for me. Overall, I would have Joe Scally in that roster, but he's another one who I I lean towards Berhalter seems likely to leave out. It is. It's possible. I really hope he doesn't. I I think... The reason why we would see Reggie Cannon over Scali is because Baralta really does want to go to that back three look in possession and just doesn't think Scali can do the job. I would certainly roll the dice on Scali or someone else being able to, to hang back as that third center back and bring him because I think he's that much better than Cannon right now. Not only is he playing at a higher level, that's that's something, but he's performing at a higher level, and I think that is the most important bit. So I really do hope we see him, like I, like I said, I guess with the striker spot, I'm not sure it's enough to move the needle for this team that it's going to drastically change the outcome. But, I mean, you do enough of the, you get enough of these decisions right, Taylor, and I guess you do start to move your team towards mm-hmm. the right direction here. All right, well, let's keep it moving in the right direction. Let's talk about Serginho Dest. In just a second, first, one more break Ooh. and a few more Americans to be chatted about. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on Mike, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. All right, Joe, we are back from break. I teased it. Let's talk Serginho Dest, who is playing for Milan, so that's good. I'm going to argue Dest has had one of the more up-and-down, roller coastery. <laughs> that's good, that's bad careers of late because he has the breakthrough at Ajax. That's great. Then suddenly there's the, is he going to play for the United States in the end? And there's there's the worry there. Then he chooses the U.S., and then it's Bayern and Barca, and he moves to Barca, and that's great. And Whoops. then it's kind of, uh, he's not playing. Yeah. And then it's... Oh, he's moving to Milan. That's really exciting. Another Champions League team, a historically huge team. Awesome. And eh, they're not doing so well. And and he's in there, but like not exactly setting the world alight. So Sergio Dest feels a very up and down performer for a good long while now, and I feel like that continues to be the case. Yep, hundred percent. Dest is right now doing fine. He's played three hundred and fifty minutes since his move to Milan. He's only started twice. He's seeing the field more than he did at Barcelona, though, and that's good, right? And he's healthy, or at least it kind of seems that way. <laughs> I can hear you reaching for this one. <laughs> I am reaching a little bit. So he had a little muscle injury yeah. recently, but played 45 minutes over the weekend off the bench. So there are good signs here. 
again, for me, Taylor, this is this is kind of a status quo thing. My yeah. thumb is, is squarely sideways on Dest. He's not changing games for Milan. He looks like the Sergio Dest at Barcelona that's good at progressing the ball. He's good under pressure. He's not like creating a ton of chances in the final third. Taylor, you mentioned, you know, the final ball needs to improve for a lot of these players. Yep. And Dest's ability to create for himself and others is something about his game that needs to improve, right? That that's how you begun that that's how you go from like a, a good starter for a Champions League team to Alfonso Davies, right? That's that's the difference. And Dest will never be Davies because he's not the same level of athlete. But you get the idea. Dest is still in that tier two almost in, in fullbacks in world soccer right now. And he's still in that tier, which is good enough for the U.S. It's good enough to get him in the squad. It's good enough to get him starting on day one and pretty much on the field whenever he's ready to be on the field. I'm glad he's getting a few reps from Milan. I'm glad he seems to be healthy, and, and right now, I guess that's about all we can ask for. Yeah, it is, and I think in that way, like status quo is good. Getting limited minutes is good, not at like the immediate risk of an injury. I feel like I should knock on wood on that one. All of those things good. The other positive I saw from Dest, aside from just a good work rate, which is something you want to see leading into a World Cup, uh, working hard on and off the ball, was that he still has that propensity to from a wide fullback position like near midfield to then, and I don't mean that as a wide fullback because I know that's not outside back is a frowned upon word in the, in, in the English uh, game. I mean more so that he receives the ball out wide as a fullback and then aggressively dribbles inside. And a lot of times that seems to be to clear out and isolate whoever Milan's uh, wide attacker is to then play the ball wide. And now they've got a 1v1 situation or a chance to cross with some space. And I like that there is that sort of, self-belief to even if it maybe ends up like like risking the threat of leaving that like whole channel open behind him he still seems to have that license and usually a midfielder comes over to cover and we would expect the U.S. to do something like that but the willingness to attack and carry that ball forward and even take shots with his right and with his left I just think he adds a variety to the U.S. attack and against teams that we would expect to sit a little bit deeper to invite the U.S. onto them I think it's going to require people who are trying to make a difference, people who are trying to just create uncertainty or a little bit of chaos uh, in, in the defense. And I think Desk can do that. I think Sargent can do that. I think PFOC is pretty good at creating chaos as well. So I think there's a couple players who can do it, but I like that Desk at least still has that aspect of his game uh, going pretty well. I love that, Taylor. I love that analysis. I think he brings he brings so much to the field. I'm not breaking any ground there. He is so good at so many things, and he can mm-hmm. really help this U.S. team in Qatar. A healthy Dest and a healthy Weston McKennie, who's not healthy right now. He's out for multiple weeks with a leg injury. A healthy uh, Gio Reyna, who actually is healthy right now. Tim Weah, Christian Pulisic. That's, I think that's how this team makes moves in Qatar. It's with Dest doing the things that he does well and showing them on a consistent basis. It's him causing some problems for opposing defenses. It's Tim Weah stretching the line. Like The U.S.'s core and their performance in Qatar, I think, is going to dictate how far this team goes. And Dest is obviously a really big part of that. Let's talk about Gio Reyna then. You mentioned him there. He's another player who we want to stay fit. We need him to stay healthy because we think he could be a really key performer for the United States. Thus far, Joe, your donated hamstring is, uh, yes. is keeping him that way. Finally, finally, my body parts have, have helped Gio Reyna. We, we have, just for folks who don't know, I, I donated yep. basically my entire body. I'm mm-hmm. just a robot now to Gio Reyna. And yet you still danced, Joe. You could still do the first dance. Good job It by was you. a little mechanical, but I mean, it was fine. It was all right, all, all things considered. Again, no no rotten produce was thrown at us. Attaboy. He's playing right now, Gio Reyna, and he's not hurt. It's amazing. My thumb is way up. Both thumbs are up right now for Gio Reyna. He scored a goal against Stuttgart. This went 
like semi kind of viral on U.S. soccer Twitter at least. He scored a goal against Stuttgart in the Bundesliga on October 22nd. It was a well-placed right-footed shot to the far post. And then he runs to the corner and slides and celebrates. And you can just see the relief on his face. It was so obvious. And you have to feel for everything that Gio has gone through injury-wise. He's rarely been fit for club or country. And the fact that he scored that goal and has played again and again since that without getting hurt. Is great. And you could see, like I said, that relief on his face. It was a really cool thing to watch. So he scored that goal, and he starts against City in the Champions League in a nil-nil draw for Dortmund. And then he comes off the bench against Frankfurt and plays 30 minutes. His minutes are clearly being managed, which I think is a really good thing. He's healthy right now. The U.S. kind of needs it to stay that way. I think their ceiling goes down kind of significantly. Like, Gio Reyna is, is a guy who I think moves the needle for the U.S. He's that good, and he does stuff that really none of the other wingers for the U.S. can do, or really any player on the field for the U.S. So I am incredibly optimistic that he's healthy right now. My fingers and toes are all crossed mm. that it stays that way. Uh, unless you donate them to him, in which case they will no longer right, be crossed. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Facts. Yeah, of course. Uh, so uh, Gio Reyna, back from injury, minutes managed, as you said. I would say the same goes for Tim Weah, who's played, I think, four games or so in that same time. Reyna has maybe six games, I think, uh, since October 11th. Yeah, Weah has like around four since that same time period. Joe, for you, would you start Reyna or Weah in that first game? Uh, can I say both? No, I, 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 probably I would choose those two as my first choice wingers because I think they have ah. a nice balance between them, like a counterbalance. But I probably am not starting Giorena against Wales as good as I think he is. I, I think it would be great to see him against England from minute one. And I think you want to be careful. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Reyna doesn't start any game for the U.S. at the World Cup because of how injury prone he is. If he's playing 30 or 45 off the bench every game, that's not the worst thing, Taylor. So I'd like to see him as much as possible, but... I think it might make a little more sense to bring him off the bench at least for that first match. Yeah, I think just get him riled up. Just talk about how, like, you know, like England have said you weren't good enough to start against them. (laughs) Uh, Wales say you're an incredibly good player. Just make him really angry to face England, and then you can sit him on the bench against Wales. Yeah, Joe Joe Scally says his German is better than yours, that sort of thing. You know, whatever whatever it's going to take to get under (laughs) Gio's skin, that's what we need. We just need an angry Gio Reyna on the sidelines. Uh, I'm with you. Graham and I, I believe it was talked about that. That goal for Gio Reyna and just the relief. I said it reminded me of the John Brooks celebration when he scores against Ghana in the World Cup. Just a a kind of, I can't believe it happened. I'm so happy it happened. I'm falling over and just having an emotional moment. And I would love for that story to continue and uh, Gio Reyna to have that moment at a World Cup, maybe scoring against England, where Ryan Bailey would complain and mention that he was English for forever. I don't know if that would ever stop. And that is the one drawback (laughs) to him starting against England, as we will have to hear about it from Ryan. Uh, But... To have him back for that Dortmund team uh, and still looking like the exact same Gio Reyna, still being really annoyed when his teammate yep. doesn't pass to him when he thinks they should have, still trying to take people on, still scrapping for balls, uh, still having that technical ability that we've come to expect from him. Uh, just really nice to see him back, and let's just hope that the the managing of the minutes continues and he is fully fit and ready to go for Qatar. Uh, anything else on Gio Reyna? He good. He, he good. really good, and he helps the U.S. I do words good, too, Taylor. You do, do words good. good, too, Joe. Let's talk Luca De La Torre for a moment. I mentioned him in the very beginning of this show. Uh, is playing, or has been playing, but now has himself an injury, Joe. Yep. So Celta Vigo said that De La Torre has a muscle tear in his left leg. Uh, that's not great. He wasn't. He, he was playing, I guess, Taylor, if we're going to be technical about it, like you said. He played like 50 minutes, 5-0, for... Uh, Celta Vigo in La Liga this season, so he was not really in the rotation all that much. He gets hurt, 
not ideal. The the quote is uh, that it's going to be about three weeks for him. That would put him healthy again based off of when the injury announcement was. That would put him back on November 18th, which is both after the initial World Cup announcement for the U.S. on the 9th and after the final squads are locked in for sure. You've made your last changes every country in the world on November 14th. So this is tough. Like the injury timing for De La Torre and the severity of this seems really bad. Is Greg Berhalter going to bring him and just hope that he's healthy and ready to go for England or for Iran? Because I'd be surprised if he's ready for Wales, even if he's back. He won't have played. He won't have trained much. Like I don't know what this is going to look like. This is the first player, or one of the first players, that has picked up an injury in the last month or two. Chris Richards maybe is the other one that I, I think is really in contention to miss the World Cup because of the severity and of the timing. I feel for De La Torre. I hope he's involved. I hope he's fit because I think he can help this team. But things are are not good for De La Torre right yeah. now. I think a lot of it has to do with, like we know Berhalter... Uh, does a lot of coaching in camp and then a lot of instruction and communication outside of camp about what he wants the players to be working on, uh, what he saw in their game that he thought was good or areas for improvement. And assuming that that's been the case for uh, him with Luca De La Torre, those minutes, as you mentioned, don't really give the, you the opportunity to see if that development is happening, if he is able to improve in certain areas. And I think three minutes against three minutes against Real Madrid, seven against Cadiz, seven against Valencia. Yeah, you're not you're not maybe able to see what he's bringing because in a lot of those games it's already over or it's very late and he's not able to fully get into them before a full time goes. So it then is about form and fitness, and if he is carrying that injury. It makes things shakier than I expected them to be. I, I don't, again, I don't think Berhalter is one to just drop a player who's kind of proven themselves and gotten into the good graces. But with the lack of minutes, as you said, it's I think it's 49 total this season uh, in La Liga. Uh, combined with that injury, I, I would be, I'm nervous for Luca De La Torre, even if his manager said he'll be fine. His manager was then sacked though, Joe, yeah. so who knows what to <laughs> yeah. make of that. Yeah, so his, his manager was then fired. I doubt that has to do with his medical assessment of Luca De La Torre. You know, this is so wildly off. Uh, Eduardo, Cu- I should have looked up how to pronounce this. Cude is my best guess on this particular name. Yeah. Eduardo, you are so wildly off on your medical assessment that you are now no longer in charge of the team. I think it's probably more to do the fact that that Celta are, are not really reaching their expectations at the moment, but either way, hopefully a new manager coming in after the World Cup, at least for Luca De La Torre's timing, it'll basically be after the World Cup. Hopefully that's a good thing for him, and it allows this move to be as productive as I kind of thought it was going to be back when it was first announced over the summer, but yeah, things are hazy right now, Taylor, for Luca De La Torre. I hope things improve, because like I said earlier, I think he's a good player. He wasn't so good back in September, but I think he can help this team. If not De La Torre, then like, who is the next eight on the depth chart? Right? It's not McKenney and Musa. McKenney also hurt right now, but hopefully will be back in time for the World Cup. It sounds like he will be. You have McKenney and Musa. Then it was De La Torre. Then it's Acosta, I guess, who's also the backup six. Then, like, like, who is it, Taylor? Genuinely, is it Christian Roldan, who wasn't there in September because he was dealing with an injury, I believe? Is it Roldan? It's not probably Williamson or Mihailovic because they weren't called into Baralter's camp that took place down in Texas, I believe, for the domestic MLS players. They're, they're clearly not really involved in that scene. I, I don't know who the other options are other than maybe Aronson or Gio Reyna with a shape change or a personnel change. The options are a thin, and that does kind of concern me. Yeah, that, that's the only thing I could see in a thing that Sam and I talked about a little bit is if they 
made it into more of like a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-2-1-3 or something. And then you did have that player as more of a number 10, more of an attacking midfielder with two, uh, sort of like a, d- a double pivot, more defensive thing. And that could be Adams and McKinney. That could be Adams and Acosta. And that allows you to have that be Brendan Aronson or Gio Reyna. Maybe it's just one of them in that sort of more standard 4-3-3 midfield. But I, I-, I share your... If not concerned, then your confusion about the haziness of this one, because I'm not sure who else it could be. And that does feel like one where I sort of assumed there was depth and people were locked in. And, and now to use it again, it does become hazier. So, Joe, it seems like you, we're hazy on Luca De La Torre right now because of the injury. Sounds like the same is the case for you and Chris Richards. That's not one we were necessarily preparing to talk about. But he, he is one that I think we both were kind of like, well, let's see what happens with the center backs and let's see how fit Chris Richards is. And just kind of we're hoping against hope that he would end up hitting the form, getting the fitness and being able to potentially be a starter. Uh, how are you feeling about that right now? Not great, Taylor, right now. I mean, we haven't seen him, right? He just has not really been involved. He hasn't trained. He hasn't been playing since August. Like, there are real concerns. And I don't have a lot of faith, like I said with Giorena, that he's going to start the first game, which I think would be ideal because I think he is, alongside Walker Zimmerman, the best option for the U.S. now that John Brooks has been cast off to the shadow realm. Maybe Tim Ream gets a look if Richards can't go. I, I, I do not know Taylor in center back right now, along with goalkeeper, because Matt Turner has been dealing with a, a groin injury. And I don't know how severe that is. I'm I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the midfield depth. I'm concerned about what center back looks like. I'm a little concerned about goalkeeper. Those are legitimate questions about this team that could have a real impact on how they do in Qatar. Chris Richards, I'm not feeling all that optimistic about right now. Yeah, nor am I. And as always, the center back spot just remains a concern uh, because Richards, we expected, we hoped would be back playing a little bit such that he could be in there. But even if he is like, quote unquote, back before the World Cup, that squad announcement a week away, I I doubt he's going to get in a full game this weekend or anything. That would be great if he did. I hope I've just reverse jinxed it. And now he's starting for Palace come the weekend and then we're all very happy. But Chris Richards out, Miles Robinson, obviously, uh, the long-term absence. John Brooks seems very much like he won't be called in. Tim Ream is one that Berhalter talked about, and I think there's plenty of arguments for why he should be included, but thus far hasn't been, or at least hasn't been in some time. So maybe it ends up being Ream and Long and CCV as your center back options because you do have so many injuries and you've got to kind of go with a combination of fitness and form. Uh, but it's definitely one that I think is going to frustrate some people when those rosters are officially announced. Oh, Taylor, we've gone full circle back towards anxiety and nervousness. I was feeling good yeah. when we talked about Gio Reyna. That was fun, yep. right? I liked mm-hmm. that a lot. I was feeling okay with the number nine stuff, kind of at peace with that. And now I have questions. I had questions before we started, but you've reminded me of them. Yikes, Taylor, yikes. If, we can do this. If it helps. Nine, seven more days till the World Cup roster. Yeah. Maybe we'll have some answers then. Uh, if it helps, I saw multiple articles today about there being... It feeling like there were more star injuries, uh, star players injured for the World Cup than we've seen in a good long while. I think many national teams are yeah, going to be true. missing key players. And while we worry about like who will be the other center back, France trying to figure out what to do without, say, N'Golo Kante, I'm going to guess they are also fairly concerned. Oh, poor France. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I'm struggling to find sympathy for France yeah, with their depth. Fine. But I, I do fine. take your point. That's I take fine. your point, Taylor. Yeah, so I, I, think, I think it's just worth remembering that it seems as though pretty much every other nation at the World Cup yeah, is true. praying that a person stays healthy or very much praying that a player gets fit in time. So I think we're not alone in that one, even though it's easy to feel like, no, nope, we're the only ones who are dealing with this. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> I think just worth remembering, lots of other countries have issues of their own. 
Fair enough. That does make me feel slightly better, Taylor, and you're right. Slightly there have better. been a number of high-profile injuries. But yeah, if uh, Matt Turner and Chris Richards and Luca De La Torre and Weston McKinney and Josh Sargent could all get fully fit ASAP, that would be great. I would really appreciate that. That was a longer list of names than I wanted it to be, Joe. I probably missed some, too. I probably missed some. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Well, obviously, uh, as I said, we're going to talk about that roster when it's released. We're going to have that BR live show. We're going to talk about the United States much, much more between now and the start of the World Cup, including when we do our group-by-group previews. Uh, I love doing those. I'm excited to do them, even if that's another thing that we have to figure out how to fit into a very busy schedule between now and the start of the World Cup. But we will do it, Joe, because previews are great. The World Cup is great. uh, And anxiety, I guess, is fun if it's eventually alleviated by a good U.S. performance. So we're going to get that. I've decided. Go USA. Joe Lowry, great to have you back. Great to be talking about some Americans in action with you, my friend. Yeah, right back at you, Taylor. It's good to be back, and I am excited for what's to come. Woo! Listeners, hopefully you all are excited as well. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again very soon. (laughs) 